0: Second or third time, you're probably looking at me, maybe turning to your spouse or the person that came with you and saying, Pastor Fred, it's a lot better looking on the website. (laughs) Well, well, that's because I'm not Pastor Fred. Pastor Fred is actually in the outer banks, getting refreshed. He's getting renewed. I am Pastor Justin White. I am the I have the honor of being the youth pastor here and leading some of these youth that are sitting over here every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., right in here. But I am one of three pastors at City Life. It's awesome to say that. Pastor Jamie over here, Geekyberry wave? Last week was his first, yeah, we can get up for him too, was his first official Saturday with us. He just moved his entire family from Missouri over here to be the campus pastor at Williamsburg. And it was monumental last week praying over him, and we still get goosebumps thinking about it today. So again, if you see him on the way out, shake his hand, pat him on the back, tell him thank you. He's appreciated. His family is awesome if you haven't had a chance to get to meet them yet. But now that we've got three pastors... And two out of three have this, we'll call it shaved head look. We'll call it the Jason Statham. If you don't know who Jason Statham is, he's out of like the expendables, right? So I used to have a shaved head and some five o'clock shadow going on. People have been pressuring me. When are you going to conform? And I'm like, look, that Jason Statham look is more than just a haircut. When I get the physique down, then I worry about the hair, right? So that might be a while. Get back at me on that. But uh, Pastor Fred and I, one thing we do have in common is we love movies. I'm sure a lot of you guys, when you think about The Office on a weekday and it's work hours, you think Pastor Fred and I are sitting back drinking Colombian coffee and debating eschatology and millennialism versus premillennialism, but no, that's not the case. Actually, a week ago, we had a conversation about movies. He had just seen World War Z with his sons. He mentioned that last week in his sermon. And we were talking about that movie. We were talking about the, the new Star Trek. How many of y'all have seen that? That was good. Uh, Superman. I was telling him about that because he hadn't seen it yet. I thought that movie was good. And when you look at all these movies coming out this summer, a lot of them that are are making all this money are science fiction films. Now, science fiction is by no means a new genre of movies. So I'm sure a lot of you have favorite science fiction movies. So just as a moment of participation, what is your favorite science fiction flick? Jenna. Independence Day. Independence Day. Yep. How many of y'all watched that on July 4th? No, that was like a one-year tradition. We did that once. Thought we were starting a tradition, never did it again. Wayne. Star Wars, I feel you. Saw that a million times as a kid. Anybody else? Sci-fi movies. Buckaroo Banzai, I'm going to red box that. (laughs) Anybody else? Clem. The Last Starfighter, quality, quality. Y'all watch science fiction in here? Come on, youth. Forbidden Planet, right behind you. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, nice. Now hands are everywhere. See, you're getting warmed up. Tyler. Avatar. I'm going to use that for my slides. So we'll, give you the, we'll give you the giveaway tonight, man. Here's a Starbucks giveaway. That's all my slides tonight. Stan. 2001 Space Odyssey. A Space Odyssey. I borrowed that from Malcolm Jones up here. Steph and I started it, and she made me turn it off. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it with somebody later. I heard it's good. I still want to check it out. I'll take your word on it, Stan. David said, call me. He'll watch it with me. Thank you, sir. But uh, when you begin to look at the, the body of work of science fiction movies, you begin to realize there's some co- reoccurring themes and treatments and situations, such as, like, the post-apocalyptic age. I think World War Z might fall under, like, the apocalypse happening. But you look at Will Smith loves post-apocalyptic movies. Like, After Earth came out this year. He was when, uh, what is it, I Am Legend. You go back a little further. Mel Gibson's Mad Max. Go back further than that. You know, uh, Kevin Costner's shining moment, Waterworld, everybody's favorite. But then you've got, you've got another theme, uh, superpowers. You don't have to look any further than Superman, right? That's a common theme. Uh, what else? Interstellar travel, going from one galaxy to another. Stellar meaning of the stars. So You got Star Trek, Star Wars, what's up Wayne? Uh, Stargate, all these different movies. Inner Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, just going from, from planet to planet, star to star. Oh, you got robots. You got Transformers, robots that we didn't make, some of which are trying to save us. You've got Terminator, robots that we made that are trying to eliminate us. And then you've got like Short Circuit, robots we made that are just trying to hang out and get more input, right? I can say that here at RC, they would just give me blank stares, so let me have my moment. But what I want to park at tonight is is bodily transformation. Like you see it in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you even see it in superheroes like the Hulk or the Fantastic Four. But even within that, there's a common theme of regaining the use of your legs, and you don't have to look much further than the highest grossing film of all time, Avatar, where the main character, Jake Sully, right? He's this wheel-bound, ridden guy who comes across some brain technicians, and they turn him into this jumping, running, leaping, tall blue thing like a smurf on growth hormones or just like a seven-foot athletic blue thing running through the trees. And all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's experiencing what it's like to have legs again. And often it's this sign of regaining your manhood or regaining virility and power. Other movies or series, you think are lost. John Locke, that's his name, right? I'm not going to lie, I never watched that show. John Locke was on the plane in a wheelchair. They crash on this island, and all of a sudden, he can use his legs. He's like Bear Grylls, this, this masculine figure all of a sudden. And then Wayne's favorite, I would have to say my favorite, Star Wars, you got Darth Vader. When you think about it, he got his legs dipped in lava, and now he's like this torso in this robotic exoskeleton, and it just so happens one of the cool side effects is he talks like James Earl Jones. Can you imagine if I had a, max, a mask where I sounded like James Earl Jones right now? Maybe Morgan Freeman. How much more enthralled you would be, right? You guys would be on the edge of your seats if I had a voice like that. We'll have to give one a dry run at RC. I'll let you know how it goes. But uh, lastly, I love comic books, so I had to throw one in here, Batman. In the comics, one of the the storylines, he gets his back broken by Bane, kind of like in the most recent movie. But in the comic book, he regains the use of his legs through this this, uh, love interest who has superpowers and through her kind of like sacrificial death and a lot of lightning in this like Frankenstein-like scene, he regains the use of his legs. So I'm just grateful that the movie went a little bit more of a a realistic route, but I want to talk tonight about a character from history who would have loved to jump into one of these fictitious storylines and regain the use of his legs. And his name was Mephibosheth. I know that sounds like a Star Wars planet or a Star Trek character, but this is a, a person from the history of Israel. He's in the Old Testament. He's in your Bible. And he was once the grandson to the king. And he ends up the cripple to a dead king. And I want to tell his story tonight. And if you could turn to 2 Samuel Chapter 9, that's where we'll park it. But I want to read as a preface, it's 2 Samuel 4.4. Kind of sets everything up, gives this backstory. 2 Samuel 4:4 4, 4 reads like this: it says Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. So in this one day, he goes from being the grandson and heir to the throne of Saul the king to being a cripple, essentially erased from Israel's history. Until we get to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, where we can all turn. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. It reads like this. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. He summoned a man named Zeba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Zeba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar. Ziba told him, at the home of Macher, son of Amuel. So David sent for him and brought him from Macher's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan." I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Zeba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Come on, that's a beautiful story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. I think it's vastly underrated. And here at City Life, we love the Old Testament because we believe that it gives us concrete imagery of of New Testament truths and ideas. And I believe that in Mephibosheth, we get this vivid illustration of the good news, this vivid portrayal of the gospel. And maybe tonight you hear the word good news and you think, oh, I've heard that before. We've heard that before. But there's this great quote by Kevin DeYoung that says, "When, when the good news is old news to you, it'll be dull news to everybody else. Come on, we should dedicate our lives to learning more about the gospel. One, because not only does it save us, but it sustains us. And then as C.J. Mahaney once said, never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is the life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. So I by no means am going to exhaust the gospel tonight. I simply want to look at the story of Mephibosheth and look at three points that we see within our story and the gospel. And the first one is this, that you were crippled by sin. The second, you were called to communion with God. And lastly, you were cured by the blood of Christ. So come on, I want to start from the top. We were crippled. You know what's so tragic about this story of Mephibosheth is he was in line to become king. He was an heir to the throne through the lineage of Saul and Jonathan. And in one day, it all comes crumbling down. The battle of Jezreel, it's bad enough that he lost his father and his grandfather in the same day. But then it was also tradition in that time for conquering kings to wipe out the lineage and the descendants of the former king. So His servant, realizing this, picks him up. He's only five years old. He can't run as fast as the adults. Picks him up to run and save him. And in the process, drops him. Breaks both his legs, and he becomes a cripple. And he ends up hiding out in this place called Lodabar. And the word Lodabar means no communication. It means no pasture. And this is where he's hiding out for years and years. And again, it would have been in the the reigning king's best interest to wipe him out. So I bet he woke up every morning thinking, man, this next knock on the door could be somebody looking to kill me. And I bet he woke up every morning just looking at his legs and thinking, what could have been? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why not somebody else? You know, we might say, why me? You know, think of some instances where you would say it. You know, maybe we get a a bad diagnosis over our health. Or maybe it's something as simple as we hit traffic on the way home and we got places to be and it's like, why me? You're at Chick-fil-A, you get Polynesian sauce on your white shirt. Why me? But spiritually, we have a lot in common with Mephibosheth. Because it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need God's grace. Spiritually, we're crippled. Now the good news is this: the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God, it's not sin. As we sang and see his love, you know, it is finished. That's what Jesus said from the cross. Victory was won. We have victory over sin. But the biggest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is just this guise of, I'm good. I've got it under control. I'm all right. I I, I got this. I'm I'm all good. But you see, I believe we get this idea spiritually because it's Physically, we've fallen over plenty of times. I've played a lot of sports. I've probably fallen over hundreds of times. I once fell out of a pickup truck onto asphalt, and I had the bump on the back of my head to prove it. But I've never fallen over and not eventually gotten up and started walking again. So I think spiritually, it's almost foreign to us to think that we've fallen, but we can't get up. We're stuck in our sin. We can't get up and walk again spiritually. We have all fallen, and we have all sinned. It gets dangerous sometimes in the church when we start talking about the sinners and the saints or sinners and righteous, because ultimately there are, there are two kinds of people. There are self-aware sinners and there are self-righteous sinners. The question is, are you aware of your condition, the fact that you are crippled and on the floor spiritually and need the grace that Jesus Christ offers, or, or do you think, I've got it? You know, I don't, I don't need grace. I'm doing just fine. You know, Pastor Fred hit on it uh, last week, which was kind of ironic, this disease of of leprosy. It was an epidemic during the time of Jesus. It was really an epidemic during the time of David. And I I think I read there are still thousands of leper colonies in India today. But leprosy is this disease of the nervous system where, where you get sores and lesions on your skin and even on your face, but you also lose feeling in your extremities. You get deformed fingers and toes from just banging it on so much and not even feeling it. And eventually some people start losing fingers, start losing toes. It's, it's an ugly disease. And in Jesus' time and in David's time, it was considered unclean. You even touched a leper and it was considered unclean. So they put them into leper colonies, like I was saying. Very much like a, a Lodabar for them, a place of no communication. You think of the people they probably were cut off from going out to those colonies. But you know, when Jesus walked the earth, it's such a, an awesome picture. He begins to touch lepers, and instead of him becoming unclean, They become clean, they become whole, they become healed. And it paints this picture spiritually that people who are open about their sins and mistakes with God, who bring them to the surface and don't fake a facade of having it together, those are who receive grace and healing. If you flip through the Gospels, you begin to see that prostitutes, tax collectors, these are the people that flocked to Jesus. Their sin was on the surface. Everybody knew. That was, their, that was their calling in life, prostitutes, tax collectors. They flocked to Jesus and found grace. The people that Jesus butt heads with so often were the religious leaders of the day who would try to, to, to hide their sin deep down and say, you know what, we've got this. We are quote-unquote righteous. I'm, I'm all right. I don't, I don't need grace. But again... <laughs> We all need grace. And I believe that there's still a, a spiritual leprosy that would, that would linger sometimes. I experienced in my adolescence that says, you know what, <laughs> I, I, that maybe doesn't say it, but, but thinks that I'm numb to sin. I'm numb to sin. You know, sometimes I might see it's damage in my life, but for the most part, you know, I, I'm good. Sometimes sin even feels good. That's why we do it. And then we think, you know what, I'm good. I don't don't need grace. I don't need God. This was me throughout my teenage years. This was me throughout college. I did damage to my life that lasted for years because I thought, I'm good. I've got this. I don't need God. I don't need grace. But, you know, Jesus would go on in the Sermon on the Mount, a, a, a verse we're very familiar with here at City Life, Matthew 5, 48, to say, Be ye therefore perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. I say we're familiar with that because we talk about here at City Life our M548 priority. What are we doing right now to become more Christ-like? Because we'll never be perfect, but we should strive for that because Jesus gives us that command. You know, he sets the bar so high that we can't help but be aware of our condition, that that we're on the floor spiritually. Not only can we not get up, we can't jump over the bar he set that high, So any feeling that we've arrived, it's it's cruel deception. Because when we begin to look at this profile of God the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, we realize that any communion with God is somebody who's infinitely holy, meeting somebody who's infinitely helpless spiritually. We've fallen and we can't get up. You know, it's one of my favorite illustrations of the gospel, that old commercial, Life Alert. I've fallen and I can't get up. The stunt grandmothers just... Spilling on the floor, hitting that button on their chest, and paramedics come. They answer the call. They rescue the old lady, and within 60 seconds of a commercial, it's like a mini-movie, right? I fall fallen and I can't get up, but they answer that call. You see, what's interesting spiritually is in Romans 5, 8, it says that while we were still on the floor of our sin, we were still sinning, Jesus answered the call on his own. It says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He answered that call, and then he calls us. Just like Mephibosheth and David, we're called by Christ. David, in this passage in 2 Samuel 9, wakes up, and no doubt he's reflecting on the relationship he had with Jonathan. They were the best of friends. And it says in the, in the Old Testament that they made a covenant with one another to take care of each other's family. So he is saying, man, to whom can I show kindness? And this word kindness in the Hebrew, it means covenantal faithfulness. And you know, it's funny. This is a side note, but it's, it's worth traveling down. We often think of the hard times and the bad times as those times that test our character. But this is David. He's got a blossoming kingdom. He's blessed, and he's saying, who can I bless? This is showing as much about his character as those times when he was hiding in caves. You know, do we ask that question? Man, man who can I bless? I'm blessed to be a blessing. How can I be a blessing to someone else? We should. But anyways, David says, who can cash in on this covenant I made with Jonathan? And Zeba the servant, says, well, there's, there's one. His name is Mephibosheth and just like Steph was saying during worship if you were the only person on the planet Jesus would have died for you Jesus would have come and died for you so that you could be picked up through grace and carried to the table of God and it's funny Ziba says well well, he's crippled in both his legs as if David might be like well yeah you know what forget about it I don't want to carry him all the way here but no matter how jacked up you are spiritually Jesus still would have come and died for you so at this point We got to put ourselves in Mephibosheth's shoes because he's not just dying to get into King David's presence. Like, what are you going to give me, right? Like it's Christmas morning or something. He's probably fearing for his life because, again, it is tradition in that day for the the new king to to wipe out the lineage of those before him. It would have been in David's best interest, according to tradition, to kill Mephibosheth. If you read in 2 Samuel 4, there are two guys that think they're working on David's behalf. Think they're working to his benefit and they go in and kill Mephibosheth's uncle in his sleep. They stab him to death. And Mephibosheth may have heard that but he might not have known that David frowned upon this and Injustice had those two guys killed. But he just knows, look, it's in David's best interest to kill me and I might not live past today. I'd imagine when he's going into David's presence, his his life is flashing before his eyes. You know, he's not running in there with a smile on his face. And that's why I think when you read the story, David says, fear not fear not. And you know, I think a lot of times when we we hear the gospel, we forget that, that God should have wiped us out. You know, it says in Colossians 121 that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sometimes we read the gospel and we think God was looking for a buddy or God was just lonely and wanted a friend. But no, he was showing mercy and grace that is unparalleled. We were his enemy and yet he died for us. And you know what, just when God calls us, just like David, he doesn't call us to punish us, but to extend grace. You know, there's an a illustration I read a long time ago. I think it was probably one of my parents' Reader's Digest or Guideposts. I don't know if they even still make those. But uh, a guy stole a Volkswagen, a car. Just as a backstory, the owner of that Volkswagen was having problems with rats in his house. So he went out to get rat poison, and he laced these saltine crackers just thick with rat poison. And I don't know if he stopped for gas, went into 7-Eleven or something, but this carjacker stole his car that had rat poison on the passenger seat. So this guy tells the cops, look, this guy stole my car, but there's also saltines with rat poison. If he eats that, he might die. So all of a sudden, these cops that are chasing him down, it's it's not so much about apprehending him. It's about saving his life. You know, when, when God chases us down, he's not looking to lay down the law like Lowell the Hammer Stanley or something. He's looking to save you. He's looking to extend grace to you. You know, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will judge us. But before that, it says in the Bible, he wants none to perish and all to come to know him. He longs to extend grace when he chases us down and calls us into his presence. And you know what's so awesome is that David shows Mephibosheth unparalleled, unheard of, unrivaled kindness. And you know what, it had nothing to do With what Mephibosheth, I knew that was going to happen. Mephibosheth, say that a hundred times fast. Knew it was going to happen once. It had nothing to do with what he did. Nowhere in the Bible do you see a list of accolades. Nowhere in the Bible do you see his list of achievements. In the Bible, if you read, he did essentially nothing. But it had everything to do about who his father was, David. Or excuse me, Jonathan. David was asking, who can I show kindness or covenantal faithfulness to? One translation says, to whom can I show the kindness of God? Because David had experienced in his life God's faithfulness in his covenant with him. David had experienced in his life God's faithfulness in his covenant with Israel. And he's saying, who can I show that kind of kindness to in my covenant with Jonathan? And Mephibosheth, got it, banks in on that. The same way that that God has a covenant with his people. And the blood of Jesus Christ seals it. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what we do in this life. It's all by grace through faith. But when you step in under the blood of Christ, the Bible says that we become children of God. And all of a sudden, it's all about who our father is. Just like for Mephibosheth, it had nothing to do with what he did. It had everything to do with who his father was. When you step under the blood of Christ, it's everything about who your father is and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you experience the same kind of mind-blowing grace. Come on, that's good news, right? That God doesn't chase after us, because we've all had our Volkswagen moments, where we've either broken man's law or God's law or both, and and God longs to extend grace to us. And you see, that same blood that sealed that covenant is the blood that cures us. You know the name Mephibosheth? It means the eliminator of idols. So when Jonathan had Mephibosheth He holds him for the first time. He recognizes that Mephibosheth has a calling on his life. It's kind of like Pastor Fred. We just came out of this series 24 where he was talking about the 24 virtues. He was also talking about 24, the TV series, how we all would love to relate to Jack Bauer because this was a man on a mission. He was on a roll. He had a purpose. And he he was kicking butt and taking names. And we just loved to relate to this guy who was on a mission. But we can eliminate ourselves when we do one of two things spiritually. The eliminators can become the eliminated when we do one of these two things. The first, briefly, is humanism. This idea that we as humans can either find the answer or be the answer. And it's ironic because we as humans are the problem. We're broken. We're hurt. We hurt each other. We need something that is higher than us. That's why David says in Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Because I myself am broken. I need something that's higher than me to pull me out. But you know, when when you realize you're broken, when you realize your your circumstance, sometimes you can fall victim to self-hatred. Sometimes you feel more like Mephibosheth than you'll ever feel like Jack Bauer. You feel like you're crippled, you're good for nothing. And like the same way Mephibosheth said to David, why did you notice a dead dog like me? We would say to Jesus Christ, why are you even paying attention to somebody like me? But Jesus not only notices you, Jesus sees you, he loves you, he wants to redeem you, he wants to restore you, he wants to heal you. As you know, it never says that David has doctors and they put Mephibosheth's legs back together or they give him like a Darth Vader outfit where he can walk around, but it does say that he ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And it reminds me of 1 John 3, 1 where it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. We went from a place of no communication with God to a place of communion with God that is so close, we could call him Father. It's incredible. It's amazing. But again, you might say, well, well, <laughs> Mephibosheth was still crippled. He was still crippled. He still couldn't walk. But you know what? The passage ends, it ends with this reminder. Verse 13, he was crippled in both feet. I believe that that's there as a reminder that, again, when we find Christ, We're not all of a sudden perfect people. Your flesh is still broken and it's still going to try to rise up. You know, the bitterness of your past may still try to follow you. Temptation will surely follow you. And none of us are going to follow Christ perfectly. The only person who's going to look back from heaven and say, look at how I walked and never stumbled is Jesus Christ himself. And that's why he carries us. You know, it says in Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry his lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. How many of you guys have heard the story Footprints in the Sand or seen a little plaque or talks about the end of your life, you're going back on this beach and looking at two sets of footprints, and one of them's you, one of them's God, and then then there's only one set of footprints, and what happened here? God, did you leave? And God says, I was carrying you, but... In this sense, when we look back from heaven, there's only going to be one set of footprints because we were crippled from the start. And God's grace not only saves us, but God's grace is what sustains us. I need God's grace as much tomorrow as I did seven years ago when I gave my life to Christ because I'm not perfect. I need God's grace to carry me. I'm never going to walk right up to communion with God on my own. I need grace. I need what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you know what's great is when God carries you. He never drops you. He's not going to do you like Mephibosheth's servant who dropped Mephibosheth. And maybe in life, people, family, peers, friends, they've dropped you. They've failed you. They've hurt you. Maybe in life, churches, institutions have dropped you, failed you, hurt you. I mean, I'm a youth pastor. I see youth again and again whose, whose parents, their fathers are in prison. Their fathers are just out of the picture. They've dropped them. They've hurt them. But you know what? God never does that. We can't project that onto God thinking, well, what if he drops me? God's not going to drop you. (laughs) He's faithful and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, he's not going to drop you. You can have faith that he will carry you in his arms. He's our good shepherd. So again, though, you're still thinking, man, Mephibosheth, he's still crippled, right? He still physically can't walk. But I would say that he had an even worse condition. And that condition was one of no communication and no communion. Now hear me on this. Physically, you might be in any kind of situation, but the worst situation you can be in is spiritually having no communion with God. Spiritually being in exile and out of the presence of God. That is the worst situation. That is hell on earth. That is hell for eternity, by definition, being apart from God. And that is what spiritually we are healed from. Again, Mephibosheth couldn't walk, but he went from having no communication, no communion, to sitting at the king's table like one of his sons. Come on, you know when he sat at that table and, you know, his belly came to the the lip of the table, nobody could see his legs anymore. Nobody could recognize and say, oh, that's Mephibosheth, the cripple, because it was just his upper torso. You know, when God picks us up and his grace carries us to the table of communion with him, his grace covers our failings. Come on, that is the best of good news, that his grace covers us. Nobody looks at you and says, oh, there's that screw-up. No, no, they see a child of God. That's what God sees when you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, Psalm 23, 6 says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Could I have the worship team come up? I kept a lot of time on the back end because as we see tonight in this sermon, Jesus has passion for people who admit that they have a problem. That's good news. And you know, that kind of grace surprised Mephibosheth. David's grace surprised him. And maybe tonight God's grace surprises you, that he, instead of of looking to to pour out his wrath, would want to pour out grace, would want to pour out mercy. Because you see, we all are Mephibosheth. I'm Mephibosheth. You're Mephibosheth. The question is, where are you? Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the question is, are you in Lodabar? Are you in a place of no communion with God? Are you in a place of no communication? Are you at the king's table? Are you being carried by grace? Because for a lot of us tonight, I would believe that we are in a, a self-imposed Lodabar. Again, the only thing that's keeping you from the grace of God is either thinking I'm good or, or, or self-hatred that would think he wants nothing to do with me. But both of those aren't the case. Come on, God's grace, let it surprise you tonight. He wants to have communion with you. If you're in a place where maybe you're just not praying, you're not reading your word, you're not fasting, you're not walking in those pathways and you feel like you're in a place of no communication, God still wants to have communion with you. So we're going to go back into worship and, and just we're just going to open up this altar as an area where you can say symbolically, getting up out of your seat and walking forward, saying that I want communion with you. I want communion with you. Again, the only two things that would hold us back are either self-hatred and thinking we're not good enough or, or, or thinking that, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm good as I am. But as we stand, come on, let's stand. Let's enter into a time of prayer. And, and if we could have our ministry teams on either side of the sanctuary I wanna specifically pray for for two kinds of people tonight. The first are those that maybe feel crippled because of situations that have happened in life. Again, maybe family, maybe friends, maybe peers, maybe institutions have have hurt you. They've dropped you, they've failed you in life. Maybe you failed yourself and you begin to project onto God the way you feel about yourself that I'm disqualified, I'm eliminated. But you don't have to stay in Lodabar. Come on, you don't have to stay in a place of of no communion. God wants to commune with you tonight. God wants to bring healing where maybe there's bitterness. God wants to bring healing where maybe there's unforgiveness or, or feeling like you're eliminated. He wants to bring healing to those areas tonight. And secondly, maybe you feel crippled because of your own doing, your own sin. Maybe it was one screw up that just seemed to sweep the rug out from under your feet. Maybe it was, it's one sin that you struggle with again and again and again. And now in, in moments like this, when, when God is present, you think he's here and he's just frowning upon you, waiting to, to dish out justice if you were to walk into his presence. But the same way Mephibosheth was surprised by David's grace. If you come into the presence of God tonight, you will be surprised by his grace that wants to extend mercy, that wants to extend grace. You might look at yourself and say, how could anybody see that in me? But Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. So that in moments like this, when you have failed, you can pick yourself back up through grace. Righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. And we can do that through grace. Without it, we've fallen and we can't get up. But through grace, come on, we can enter into communion with God our Father, with Christ our King, So now as we go back into worship again, I just want to open up this altar area. If you're one of those two people, you need prayer for anything. We've got ministry teams on either side. But again, if you want to say, I want to step out of a loaded bar, a a place of of no communication, even if it just feels like it's been that way for the last 24 hours, and you want to say, God, I want to commune with you right now in this sanctuary, at this altar, then the altar's open. But let's go back into worship.